Welcome back, everyone, to Beer and Football. Jeff and I are your hosts, and we are uh, we're back. Ex- we're back, and uh, we are excited that we have listeners, Jeff. Yeah, we have a few. We've got at least five listeners out there, which is way more than I thought we were going to have. Yeah, my mother was not very busy this week, so she listened five times. That's fine. We'll take it. I'll take any listeners at this point. But uh, not bad for you know episode one, our first go, not really knowing what we're doing. Yeah, it's only good. only way up from here. Yeah. The outlook is positive. So, um, what are we getting into this week, Mike? <clears throat> we are going to recap uh, this weekend's games with Liverpool and Arsenal, and um, the beers that go along with that. And you know, I think I think last week we we definitely could have highlighted a bit more of the beer. Um, we we got really excited about the football and and kind of forgot about beer. Which apologies, uh, it's not like us. It was the first podcast. We didn't really know what we are doing, but we are sorting it out as we go. But uh, there will be definitely more beer talk as well as the football talk. Um, today is a, kind of a special day. Not only is our second episode, we actually have our first special guest. Um, our guest is Joe, and he's a Chicago Fire FC um, fan, season ticket holder, as well as an Arsenal fan. Ex-season ticket holder. <laughs> Ex-season Ooh, ticket holder. It's I'm official. sorry. <laughs> but hey, welcome to the show, Joe. Yeah, good. Glad to be here. Excited, fun. Hang out with you guys. Talk a little bit about football and see where things are going. That's great. We're happy. We're happy to have you. We're excited to get this going. Um, so let's just jump right in. So let's start with um, <clears throat> Liverpool Watford. Let's start with the Premier League uh, this time. So uh, Liverpool Watford, Jeff. How do you feel the game went? Uh, the game went a little bit like the beer I'm drinking. Um, I call it partially beer because there's partially a game. Um, I'm drinking an orange shandy, and it is a little bit of beer and a little bit of not. So the game kind of went in that direction as well. Uh, Liverpool, if you look at the score line, it looked like a pretty straightforward game with Liverpool being top, Watford being bottom. You expected a pretty easy stroll through the park, but in reality, it was it was not quite that. It was uh, it was as the coach uh, Neil Pearson said. He said that Liverpool knew that they were in a game. Um, there were probably I could think of three scenarios that uh, that Watford had to at least hit the hit the goal, uh, make the make Allison make a save, and they 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 whiffed. Um, they had three sitters that they they missed, and you can see exactly why the the team is sitting at the bottom at this point. So my beer reflects that is that half the game went well, and half the game really could have gone the either way, uh, could have gone the other way. Yeah, so it, I mean, on the on the face face of it, you look at the scoreline two zero. It looked like a seems like on paper a pretty comfortable win, but I mean, Watford with the new coach, new manager, bounce to get a little new life, you know, playing a different way. How did the how do you feel that they they coped with Watford coming at them like that in a new new situation? Uh, it was kind of fun to watch actually. The game was a bit open at times. Um, Watford still did sit back from time to time, but with De La Feu, Sar, um, and then obviously Dini. Definitely posed threat, and De La Feu always has no problem running at the defenders, and made Robertson make some. Uh, actually, no, I think Milner started the game, and um, definitely, definitely made him work for his uh, his paycheck that day. Um, Sar looked lively. Dini, his his normal industrial hold up skills and 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 work rate made it difficult for him. Um, he's not, someone that they've missed, right? Like he, he posed some kind of threat. I suppose Watford hasn't had really had anything in the previous weeks. I mean, having Dini back had to have been tough to deal with. Yeah, he 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 didn't he he missed kind of a, a 
what I would call a sitter in the beginning of the game, and then he kind of um, went missing from the front of the goal. But he didn't. He did do a lot of other work around the field, um, particularly a hold up play, and he even uh, ended up tracking back and doing a lot of defensive work. So. I was impressed with Watford. I don't see them being bottom of the table uh, come end of season. I know they're they're in trouble right now, but with the the new manager coming in and uh, the work rate that they they put in with the creative creative players they have, I I see them being just fine. So, just fine, huh? I mean, they've got quite a hole to dig themselves out of <clears throat> after the first seventeen games. And uh, but I didn't, I didn't think it happened. You know, I think they have a quality side. I'm surprised that they are where they are at this point, but. Yeah, they finished the season well last year. Uh, they might have might have uh, lost that final. Um, it was FA Cup. No, not FA Cup. Uh, it was FA Cup against yeah. City. Lost six nothing. Right. That definitely didn't help them at all. I think they've right. just really been downhill ever since. Yeah, Joe, did you catch any of the game? This uh, I didn't see a lot of it, um, but I know that you know Watford's always tough. They're always kind of up for a fight and make things difficult, especially for Arsenal. Yeah, yeah they. <laughs> it's just that's kind of who they are, and they have some, you know flair players that seem like a luxury to them at times and but they can cause damage when they're yeah, it was comfortable just... and they have some space that they can they can make those moves and do those things to get in dangerous spots and yeah it was a little surprising to me that they were able to hold on to some of these players like De La Feu um what, didn't he have a player. spell at Barcelona yeah that's where um, he's from you know, and, and he's shown well at times last season, so it was good they were able to hold on to the, some of their creative players, but this doesn't seem to be clicking yet at this point. He's kind of a selfish player, though. He kind of seems like he plays for himself, wants to do all the flashy things, and <clears throat> may not be the most team player. You probably look at most of his goals. It's probably like an individual act more than anything, taking players on and, 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 and that kind of scoring opportunities. But, yeah, I'm surprised he didn't go. Decor is a solid player, but... Um, yeah, I, don't, I just don't think they match up at all against the Liverpool side the way that they're running right now. Yeah, they're tough to and match up against. And, that, and that's going to be a common theme, I think, as we talk, or hopefully as we talk more this season, is that Liverpool weren't at their sparkling best, and yet they've been able to find ways to get results, um, either being late in the game, finding a winner, uh, grinding out a result and holding on for dear life, or you know the, the days when they turn it on and they, they blow teams out of the water. Uh, they have all all of those ways to win in their back pocket, which is a clear sign of a champion championship team. So at this point, it's looking good. Obviously, still pretty early, but um, you know, games like Watford, I, I'll take all season long. Yeah, I mean, a win's a win. You just need three points, no matter how you get it at this point. Especially coming into the festive period, <clears throat> every point is crucial. So I mean, I'm sure they'll take it. Speaking of three, um, that Arsenal game. Uh, I don't even, do we even talk about this week? <laughs> um, yeah, no, it was, I mean, coming into this game where we are not only in the table, but just as a club, <clears throat> it's, it was just kind of a throwaway game. Not not throwaway, but it was just. Being a primarily <clears throat> big six team, though, I mean, can't you expect yeah, to, to compete? We're not playing like that. I mean, our home form has been pretty awful. Our away form has been pretty awful. And City, coming off last week's result, um, or their they were just ready to, to improve and, and take it out on us, and we gave them the platform to do it. We didn't really, outside that first 45 seconds with Martinelli, that was, I think, our first and only shot of the game, For if not um, the first half. So it was, it was a rough go. It was, it was a free swing, and we missed completely, and it was just it was rough to watch the entire game. Um, it, it was pretty telling 
there's a lot of things that happened in that game that were pretty telling of where Arsenal at, or just as a club in general in terms of management and executives and just overall the state of the club is poor. Yeah, they're they're just they're too comfortable with where like being just playing and it's they're easily figured out by oppositions and they know exactly what's coming, the oppositions and how to beat it because it seems like Arsenal just doesn't want to defend. And so that they're not good bring, at it. You bring up a good point. Defense is they, they don't seem to be lacking in the options of attack. Um, might not be scoring a ton, but you look at their, their lineup and you're like, wow, that's a lot of firepower. So what, what needs to be done in, with the players that they have that maybe can sure up their back a little bit? Not send them forward? I mean, if, I mean, at the end of the day, you just sit your back six and literally don't move them at all and just let the front four, I think we talked about it last week, the front four is easily good enough to to go out and get something out of an attack but you know Guendouzi tries to do too much on himself he tries to do everything on the field and leaves massive gaps behind him leaving Terrer all alone they got ripped apart by one pass a lot of the time and it's just I don't know if it's like they don't want to defend I just don't think they can defend they're just they're not good defenders it's it's really shocking so what you're saying is that maybe it's more of a personnel than a, a game plan yeah, I mean, there's a point in the game where the the camera was on Freddie. It was at one point where Socrates was passing the ball around with Chambers and just putting Chambers in, like, with hospital passes. And the camera just went to Freddie, and he was just, like, hands on his head, mouthing, what, what are you guys doing? Like, that it completely exemplifies what Arsenal is right now. Like, he doesn't even understand what the players are doing. That's clearly not coming from the coaches. Like, they're just out there making blatant mistakes and it, it's baffling it has to be so hard to be freddie right now i mean he's in a, a terrible situation uh, well the nice thing i think for him is that no one expects him to be the head coach <laughs> yeah so there's very little pressure um from what i can see on freddie compared to the likes of maybe everton um maybe not so much everton since they they seem to have a, a replacement in mind but um teams that replace coaches um and, and try to replace them with internal um and expecting good results right away yeah i mean it's a it's a sticky situation all around and speaking of sticky situations uh the beer i'm drinking this week for this game is uh it's called sticky nuts funny name pretty solid beer it's by short fuse i'm actually a real big fan of short fuse it's a um it's a it's a it's a stout beer and it's a little hint of coconut. It's actually really really good, um, but I mean the name just kind of says it all. It's just it's a sticky situation that Arsenal are in, uh, that Freddie is in. I mean he's in like a, a real no win kind of situation where the players don't know what they're doing on the field and he doesn't have any training time because they've got so many games in a short period of time. He's like during interviews asking owners management make a decision like this isn't helping anybody like they don't even have a coaching staff it's it's him per motorcycle and like the u23 goalie coach like there's like three of them managing an entire squad of professionals they're just not setting them up for success and like kind of we touched on it last podcast they just didn't somehow didn't see this coming when they had all the signs that the club were falling apart and Sticky situation, man. Sticky. Yeah, the owners, they need to just decide what they want to do, where they want to take the club. If they're, they want to stop the bleeding and 
figure it out and they need to invest and put some money into it because Arsenal invest. They need they need defenders. They need all new defenders, and they got to start with finding a center back. And it's important. David Luiz is not the answer. Um, he was a cheap option at the end to get us something because we needed something, and he is just a bigger named, you know. Uh, Championship yeah, center Mustafi. Mustafi. <laughs> yeah. He's just like he's just that kind of player that you know on the ball he might be okay, but when he doesn't have the ball, he's all over the place. No and, clue what he's doing. And it's scary to watch. A terrible thing for a defender to you know not be a good defender, defender. and especially a center back. That's kind of the whole characteristic of all the defenders in Arsenal is that their best characteristic is when they have the ball, and when they don't have the ball, chaos. It's chaos, and it's frustrating to watch because you just want them to be better and they're just not good enough yeah i mean if you think about it our best defender is an 18 year old kid who plays in Ligue in france like he um he's our best friend he doesn't even play for the team yet like they signed him a year ahead um he plays for saint etienne like mm-hmm. it's it's shocking that that's our best defender um and outside of him i think martinelli's probably our our best defender out on games just because of his overall work rate. I mean, he does more work than Willock does in the midfield, more work than Ozil does. Like, he tracks back and wins the ball in our defensive third. Well, when more work than Ozil. I mean, anyone can do more work than <laughs> Ozil, putting it out there. But, um, <clears throat> but, yeah, I mean, it's just the defensive side of things is shocking. So, I mean, like, someone needs to come in and fix it, and we can we might be talking about the coaching situation moving forward in the podcast, but... I mean, just not sending them forward. Like, you have a defense responsibility, and that's it. You yeah. get six behind the ball at all times, and you just protect your, your, your goal. Poor Burt Leno. Yeah. Most saves in the Premier League because his defense is just awful. Um, and to be fair to the defenders, somehow, our midfield just isn't good enough either. They're not giving them any kind of protection. They're letting players just run through, getting beat an entire line by one pass. Like, it's just clean, clean, not good enough, and it's as like like Joe was saying. It's, as an Arsenal fan, it's it's depressing. Like it's hard to watch and the team you support your entire life. It's it's just hard to see them fall over the last few years to this point. And at some point, they just became okay with mediocrity. Um, I think when Czech signed, he got in the locker room and was like. Yeah, this is way different than Chelsea. Chelsea were like winners. They had a winning mentality in the locker room, and they he came over at Arsenal and so laid back. They haven't won a title since the early 2000s, and it's just they seem okay with that. They just seem okay with getting an FA Cup every once in a while. And so it's it's the Premier League, and just like any other league, well, I shouldn't say like any other league, uh, it ebbs and flows. Or you don't really have a winner uh, like Italy with Juventus in the last, you know, six years or something like that psg Bayern, those seem to be dominated by one horse races and luckily the uh, la liga has a two horse race usually every year premier league's been able to bounce around um being being a liverpool fan of i can attest to the fact that it is it's not <laughs> you know <clears throat> liverpool hasn't won uh <clears throat> the league since it became the, the premier league three decades almost right almost um so you could definitely understand that and 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 when I started supporting Liverpool, uh, the it was right after they won the Champions League, and 
and their place in the top four making it into the Champions League for the f- next year is not was not anywhere near guaranteed. So, how how do you think that the Premier League f- or I'm sorry the Champions League football that they've been lacking the last couple season has affected their attraction of talent? I I don't I don't know how important that is. I think that the players that they're looking for, they're not coming to Arsenal because it's just an a place you don't want to go to to be succeeding at that high of a level. Those players aren't really coming, and it's hard to to get them without it, but kind of glad that we don't have it right now because it would be a terrible situation if we're playing in these Champions League games where they're just getting picked apart by much better oppositions from around the world when we're having a hard time against, you know, the Southamptons and stuff where we don't want to go against those really big clubs because it's going to be even more embarrassing. So then how do you dig yourself out of that hole? I, I know mean, how Liverpool did it. It took them a while. But what do you guys see? It's it's like a blow-up mentality at this point. I mean, you have to restructure how the club is going to operate. I think for a long time the strategy was to try to bring in already made known players like Ozil at like late 20s when – and like hopefully there would like like stopgap and hopefully that would bring um just continue like some level of success getting top four and that being enough but we weren't <clears throat> managing the contracts well enough and we ended up losing a lot of players on freeze and then we're stuck with playing ozil 300,000 a week and we're just kind of in these bad situations where we were getting these older players and not investing enough in youth before they become good that's what something arson was really good at in the beginning was bringing along young talent but then we just kind of got away from that, and we just started signing already known players, and um, it's kind of put us in a really big hole. And now, like, we can't attract those big time players because we haven't had Champions League in three, four years. Mm-hmm. And I, it was interesting that I saw at the end of the City match, we had Martinelli and Saka, who are eighteen years old. Smith Rowe was nineteen. Guendouzi and Willock are twenty years old. All finished the game, so they're young, and you know, it's Arsenal you know, doesn't want to be a a club that is just all youth and doing that because they can't afford to be. They're too big of a club to have to have all of these young guys be stars because mm-hmm. they're still learning the ropes of what they need to do and what it is to be professional at this top level. And they need the results to be, they need to slowly incorporate these guys instead of just throwing them in and depending on them because there's too many of these young kids that we depend on and they get burned out easily and yeah speaking of young kids minute yeah i mean i think that's just kind of where the club is at this point where i think is also the level performances where that was a a choice that lumberg made Mm -hmm. to put those 19 year old kids Mm -hmm. in based on the level of play that David Luiz was going. He put Saka in at left back instead of putting David Luiz in. Like mm-hmm. that was a choice, calling out the players, the veteran players that you're just simply not good enough right now. So I'm going to put in youth players who are going to work and give me something. Yeah. Um, lock is that off? Yeah, I Down mean three nothing to City, and he's leaving him off. <clears throat> it's it's really telling as, as to what the level is at at Arsenal, and you know, it's unfortunate that we have to rely on these kids, but. They're, yeah, like you said, they're just not ready, and that's kind of where we are now, and it's hard to attract any top-level players. One, you have to pay for them, and two, like, 
they just don't mix well and they don't have anything productive to play for in terms of Champions League. I hear you guys. I went through this a few years ago at Liverpool. It, it takes it takes a few good signings and um, a coach to come in with a vision and kind of galvanize the team together to, to kind of get you guys out of that rut. But it, it's going to take a few years yeah, yet. It'll be and, tough for a little while. Yeah, you need that, that character to be able to do that. <clears throat> Well, that's enough depressing talk about uh, the sad state of Arsenal. Let's get back to uh, some positive things and um, shift things over to Liverpool because they didn't just have a uh, <coughs> game against Watford. They had uh, two games this week, didn't they, Jeff? Three uh, games? They actually had three, Mike. Three games. Well, their senior team had two games. Well, I'm an Arsenal. I only play one game a week, so, you know, it's different on my side. Yeah, so unfortunately, Liverpool had, you know, fortunately and unfortunately, Liverpool had to play two games within two days after beating Arsenal uh, five, uh, that 5 5 draw, the shootout, the crazy, crazy League Cup game. That was Emery, it was in the past. We don't talk about it anymore. <laughs> Uh, Liverpool progressed to the League Cup uh, quarterfinals against Aston Villa, and they were playing at Aston Villa, but unfortunately Liverpool were also playing the Club World Cup final the next day in Qatar, so they had to make a decision since the league couldn't really come up with a resolution and scheduling conflict. They decided to field essentially what they're deeming is the U23 side, but in reality it could have easily been called the U21 or U19 squad with the average age being somewhere around 19 years old, uh, Liverpool's youngest ever starting 11. Uh, really kind of goes to show that the League Cup is, is really uh, insignificant at times. It's really, you'll see these big clubs and some of the smaller clubs um, fielding young teams and, and inexperienced teams in this, lead, in this, in this competition until later, later on and and in this particular case, really, it was an entirely, it wasn't even entirely the U23 squad since um, some of the bigger names, uh, Ryan Brewster being one of them, were actually out on injury. And a few of the, few of the more likely play, uh, academy players to break through um, was joining Liverpool in Qatar anyway. So Nico Williams was named on the bench on Wednesday um, and couldn't play on Tuesday. Um, and so, really, they were missing some of their bigger names from the younger players. Before you jump in, let me just ask you a question, because this is, like, the big thing about the League Cup, because there's all this talk about, you know, Premier League teams not caring about it and, and sending younger squads anyway, but this is kind of a different situation, because they literally had a game in Qatar a day later. So, I mean, like, they they had to send a different team like they had to provide a different team of players um the the other alternative was to split the teams um half the starters stay and half the starters go and 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 you could have split up the team that way uh there was no precedence uh, the this scenario has always been an a, an option a possibility in the past but it has never really come to fruition this year all the stars aligned and Liverpool had to make a decision. They won, won the League Cup. They've recognized that they're in six competitions this year, and they, they prioritized the Club World Cup. Uh, so they, they sent off their starters and some of their more prominent youth players to, to Qatar and said, you know what, have at it, young guys. Let's, let's see how you do. And to be honest, guys, it was kind of exciting. They didn't play um, too bad. No, uh, the first ten minutes or so, it really looked like there 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 could have been an upset uh, against Aston Villa's. I wouldn't say A squad, but it was a strong squad. Uh, there were some some B squad players in there, but uh, Harvey Elliott, sixteen years old, man, he he's going somewhere. Uh, he's he's going to be a solid player. 
He, he looks fluid. He looks confident. He looks like he's been playing this game for 20 years already. Um, and, and it's really going to be exciting to see how this guy can break into the, the first-team squad. Uh, not only that, but Herbie, Herbie Kane um, showed some, some class in the middle of the field, kind of driving that engine and, and, start, and, and not only broke up plays defensively, but transitioned to attack pretty well. Uh, some of the other, some of the other guys still obviously had some work to do. Um, you know, relatively speaking, obviously trying to keep it in context that they were um, mostly teenagers. Seth Vanderberg, one of the bigger signings of the summer, um, played okay. Uh, he, you can see, he has some skill and and some potential. But um, kind of circling back around, I wanted to to talk about my next beer in regards to the young squad. I'm, I'm drinking a Bud Light. Uh, everyone should have heard of Bud Light by now. Why are you drinking a Bud Light, Jeff? Uh, you ask. Is is because what I drank when I was 16 years old. Uh, my taste buds have developed and evolved, and um, you know what? Sometimes Still tastes as bad as it did back then. I'm sure. <laughs> you need to go back to the roots. And uh, 16 years old, drinking Bud Light in the backyard. There's nothing wrong with that. Good old days. <laughs> Do any of these kids have a future in the first team squad in the coming years? I could see Harvey Elliott for sure. Um, the next name on the list might be Vanderberg, just because he was the next biggest signing. Uh, however, I, I still think that he's a few years off. Harvey Elliott, I could see breaking in a little sooner. Kane, I can see him breaking into a team. I don't know if it's going to be Liverpool's team. Uh, he's already 22 or something like that, and not quite even close to breaking into the first team so i see his future away from liverpool um oh another player that i think can it's he can make an impact the problem is he's got trent alexander arnold in front of him one of the best fullbacks in the world at this point and he's only 19 or 20 uh is hoiver uh hoiver is again one of those players who looked like he was just silky on the ball he confidence he was able to take a touch pick his head up and act um without panic uh, I think he's played a couple times for Liverpool's first team, and he actually looks like the real deal. Um, the rest of the kids, either it's too soon for them because they're too young, uh, not mature, but uh, those are the two that I think that are going to break through is Hoiver and Elliot. Vanderberg, I'm a maybe. He's still young, though. I mean, given like the squad of kids we're talking about, I mean, the Liverpool first team isn't super old either. I mean, like their defensive core is pretty young. They've got Keita, Fabinho. A lot of these guys are fairly young, so I mean, they're going to be there for a while. Is it realistic that these kids can eventually break through without having to to either go on loan or get sold at some point? Well, that's the fun thing about soccer, or sorry, football. Get it right, Jeff. I know. It's it's tough to break that habit. (laughs) Uh, The tough thing about football is that it can happen at any time. So you can, if you're, if you're there, you're ready, you're working hard, and an injury comes up, anything's possible. Um, if you take a look at last year, Liverpool squad, um, no one was going to supplant Van Dyke and Gomez in the back. They were, they were locked down. Um, you know, a couple goals scored on them you know, through the handful of games that they played. And then Joe Gomez goes and gets hurt for a few months, and um, Matip steps in and really becomes a solid um, you know, all-star player. And so Joe Gomez comes back healthy, healthy and he can't get back into the squad because Matip's playing too well. You you really, if if you really want to 
you know, take your chance when it comes and stay healthy, stay ready and take your opportunity. Then anything's possible. But, um, you know, like Trent Alexander came up, came up and he was a name that wasn't really well heard of at the time, but he stepped in and the coaches knew him and he stepped in and took his chances. And now you don't see him ever losing his spot at this point, but you just never know. So I think anything's possible. I wonder if in a few years, if these academy kids are coming through it, they run out of, there's no room kind of like city was going through with all their young kids that they're good enough but city's team is just so strong that these kids aren't going to get in and they're going to want to stay around and yeah Fodden's been talking about potentially yeah. leaving well he hasn't but others have I mean, James Sancho him. took off because yeah. he probably saw the writing on the wall he wasn't going to find a uh, spot in the team and then like I said Phil Foden I mean He's a solid player. He's like 18, and he's a solid player. But who's in front of him? Both Silvas are in that in that line in front of him. Gunawan, like, it's gonna it's hard for him to get playing time, and like some you have to take off one of those superstars to even get him on the field. But I mean, it's and who it's else? Tough. No, I mean you don't you don't even know which coach is going to be there in the future. Um, you know, luckily for Liverpool, it just signed in a contract extension. But for the rest of the clubs, I. Right, you might be frozen out by one coach, but then mm. new coach comes in and you're you're at the front of the line again. You know, Ozil is probably you know, he probably benefited a lot from this coaching change. Gets to step in and play a bit more. He got subbed in the 58th minute. I don't think it's working for any any coach at this point. But well, uh, I'm just saying he wasn't playing a ton under Emery, and then uh, things started to change at the end, he, and and he gets his chance again. So you just never know. Once a new coach comes in. Our new system gets put into place. Um, some of these players that either got frozen out or haven't gotten looks get get to step in and take their chance. That's true. Um, so at the end of the day, the kids didn't have enough. They lost four nothing to Villa. Five. Five nothing. What's we- five? Wesley got one at the end oh, there. Con- brutal consolation. But uh, you know, so the fun thing about that game before we move on was that not only did Liverpool have chances, um, their Villa's goalie made some huge saves really the score line and a half was i think four nothing mm-hmm. and it really could have been three three uh one of them was an own goal deflection almost on the end line you know unfortunate another one was a free kick it was poorly defended so it wasn't the goalie's fault really it could have been three three um i think what it came down to is similar to liverpool watford game uh, Liverpool were clinical, Watford were not. It was the it was the opposite here. Uh, Aston Villa took their chances, and and Liverpool spurred them a bit. So, so like looking at it, just the stats on paper, you know, more possession for Liverpool, yeah. more shots on goal, more corners, more passes, just everything that you would look at and see. Like the fun thing about it was that they they played in the Liverpool way. So regardless of their age or how many mm-hmm. caps they've had for their team, they played the Liverpool way, which is it's just awesome to see. That's just, you know, the level of professional. You know, Aston Villa is a Premier League club and a bunch of kids. But, I mean, giving up possession that much to a bunch of kids shows a lot. I mean, they're quality players. Um, a much different game that uh watched today was the Liverpool-Montenegro game. Montenegro came in um, pretty hot. They, they had new coach that were able to come in and... Um, and implement a new system. They they were kind of a run of form that was pretty terrible. New coach comes in, and All right. what did I say? Montenegro. Montenegro. <laughs> That's the country of Montenegro. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we're gonna go ahead and uh, we're gonna redo uh, that make, whole thing. Make that uh, make that change there. Is Monterey, and um, 
but the coach stayed the same. He he's definitely came in and improved their system. He's uh, taken them on a on a gridwooden farm. They're going into the, I think the two-legged final um, coming up in Copa Copa America, I believe. No, I'm sorry, not Copa America against Americas. Uh, in League, League MX and so they've been uh, feeling pretty good they wanted to come into today's game and kind of prove a point that they deserve to be there show that the CONCACAF uh, area can play with the world's best and Liverpool came up against a side that showed no fear and ultimately took to the 90th minute in my 90 minute IPA is uh, is here to kind of highlight that the 90 minute IPA is is kind of a well balanced beer that is a little bit a little bit hoppy and it's got some caramelization and really overall is good balance um, but the nice thing is, is that it comes in at the 90 minute mark after the brewing process and um, it's a perfect timing to for a perfect result if you will <laughs> Um, so yeah, I don't know how much of you guys, how much of the game you guys get caught. I actually didn't watch this game at all. I don't know how many people actually do watch the FIFA Club World Cup. Um, if, if you're not a Liverpool fan or a Monterey fan, but, uh, it, not Montenegro, not Montenegro. <laughs> they're, they're a long ways away, um, but it's just like an odd tournament. It, it just, it's a young tournament. It's only been like 16 years that it's been in place, something like that. And I think it's such a weird tournament, weird time of day. Like takes you out of your your um, your domestic league and also like the cup ties that they have to deal with. So, um, how do you feel about that? Like the the having to travel that far midweek, knowing that you've got you had a game on Sunday, you got another game coming up on the weekend, and you're in the middle of tournament play. Well, it's obviously not ideal, but if you think about where Mexico is coming from, they came from much further. Uh, the Brazilian side, Flamengo, had to come from just about the same distance. Uh, on one hand, I like the tournament. You, you're taking the champions of the champions and you're putting them up against each other. Uh, however, at the same time, it is a bit of a moot point. It's how many times in the last decade, since the start of this tournament, have a team outside of Europe won? It's probably a few, but if any? <laughs> no, 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 Flamengo won it. Uh, actually, if Flamengo wins and Liverpool, since Liverpool won, no, it is Fl- Liverpool Flamengo. This would be a repeat of the game. Um, I believe thirty years ago they got to play each other, uh, and Flamengo won. Oh. So, uh, it is kind of cool to see these teams that never really get to play each other mm-hmm. come together and and see who's better. Uh, you're taking the champions of the champions. Who's the best? It, However, it seems to come across as like a, a burden for the European teams yeah. where the rest of the teams in the world kind of look forward to it and yeah. it's a way to showcase their brand to a wider market. Um, so those teams seem to take it a lot more serious and kind of look to set a set a tone in the game and and really try to get the result no matter how it comes across whether that's just sitting back and just absorbing everything and trying to break or whatever they're just looking for that one chance to kind of really like if Monterey beats Liverpool like that's a a talking point in for Monterey for forever that's yeah. a you know a thing that will go down in their club's history if they beat <coughs> Liverpool and European champions yeah, yeah so those are those kind of things that they're the really 
Liverpool's the top dog that everyone's trying to beat in this tournament. And in the world. Right, and they're trying to to find their Yeah, it was it was it. a fun game to watch because you mentioned, you know, what tactics they would come out with and and I was thinking the same thing. They might sit back and absorb and try to break on the counter. And for some of the game they did. They were playing a, you know, five they had five across the back line, they had four tight in the middle and they were really allowing no space through. Uh, and then uh, one guy up top, I think Pabon, was the the lone striker at times. Actually, Funes More uh, was playing, I think, through the center, and Pabon more so asked to do more defensive work. But at times they were sitting back and they were absorbing. But then at times when when the right cues were on, they were Liverpool had the ball in their half. They were pressing. They were, they were up and they were as a team. They were they were forcing them the way they wanted to go, forcing them to get rid of the ball before they wanted to. And and the game became very open, especially after Liverpool scored. Um, Monterey came back immediately and scored like 30 seconds later. A uh, little bit of a scrap, a li- little bit of a lucky goal. At, um, but overall, they took their chance when the, when it was given to them. And then it, after that, the game opened up. It was back and forth. And Allison, actually both goalies had to make some huge saves to keep them into the game. Um, you know, definitely could have gone way different directions depending on the goalies in this game um, so overall I thought it was entertaining uh, no one got injured which uh, for Liverpool I think is is, is a just as big of a win as winning the game mm-hmm. uh, not going into extra time was just as big of a win um, unfortunately they had to bring on Firmino and Mane uh, probably when they could have they would have wished to have rested them the whole game but overall um just like this 90 minute IPA it, it a win's a win and it, it's it tastes good that's all you're looking for at the end of the day and that's a good point I mean you you run the risk of you know traveling thousands of miles to potentially get an injury to one of your top players and then having to come back and finish out the domestic league in one of the busiest times of the year so I mean it's it, it's a risk but they they made it through and uh, they got the, the three points and they're going on to the final which they really relatively should have gone to you know I mean as the Champions League winner that team typically I mean you get a buy into the semis anyway it's it's that kind of tournament there's only seven teams you basically walk into the semis usually playing a lower level team but um I mean it's a it's a tournament they should win and you know hopefully that they do and then they can bring back some hardware for you guys and um first bit of hardware in quite some time and you know um it'll be good for the club good for the team good for morale and keep that that winning mentality going yeah and before you know before we move on definitely some things to note uh Jordan Henderson was a center back today <laughs> James Milner was a right back. Um, Industrial defense, right there. <laughs> we we had a, a we we had neither we had we didn't have Milner, we didn't have Henderson, we didn't have Wijnaldum or Fabino in midfield today, um, which is probably the first time all season. It was very much a weird lineup that that Klopp had to kind of piecemeal together because he realize that you know obviously we have a game again in a few days we just had some tons of games piling up uh van dyke matip lavarin all out you know three center backs out um hopefully van dyke will be back for the weekend but he's it's not for sure lavarin and matip is out for a little bit longer but henderson as a center back uh, he did get exposed at times definitely wasn't a center back um you could tell he was out of place but uh he did enough (laughs) All right, so I can only handle so much Liverpool talk without going a little crazy. So what we are going to do, we're going to we're going to jump across the pond 
and we're going to talk about our local club team with our um, our resident expert here, Joe. Um, Chicago Fire FC. Yeah. What is going on yeah. with the Chicago Fire? They got a new owner. They're going back home, they like to say, to Soldier Field. They got a new badge. But as of right now, it's the same things that are happening. They're unprepared. They think they're bigger than they are, um, and it seems like the supporters are the ones who are paying the price at the moment. So what happened, so they were at Toyota Park, what was the whole thing behind the move and like the, I guess, quote-unquote rebrand? Like, what were the issues that they felt like they needed to make a change? Well, they needed to get out of Bridgeview. It was a, they were renting the stadium, they, it was a terrible contract that they signed, Bridgeview was the only place that was willing to give them a stadium. Um, they were told Bridgeview was going to build up the area around, and they didn't. Yeah, that um, did not happen over the course of the yeah, time there. Nothing changed. It was just it was a tough spot. There's no way to get there from the city. That was a big problem. Um, you had to take you know the L to places to take a bus over, and no one's going to do that. Um, so. The attendance was awful, worse than the league type numbers. And, you know, I was there on Wednesdays with, you know, 6,000 fans on a, a Wednesday night. And, you know, that they needed to get out. And I guess the only place back was Soldier Field, which, you know, hopefully will be a positive move for them. You know, it's a tough move for the suburban people. You know, it's going to double our commute. It's going to, you know, double our prices and everything. And they're banking on the city support to get them the numbers they're looking for and the revenue and all that stuff. But the product on the field right now is not good. It's tough to, to see the positives in everything that's happening. There's no technical director right now. There's no coach. There's only 17 players on the roster. One of them being a 15 year old kid that they just signed. And <laughs> it's, those aren't, those aren't good signs of the season that's coming up. And it's hard to see where the club is going. And, you know, it's they can't hire a coach without hiring a technical director to bring in that coach. And they can't hire players because they don't have a coach who wants those players. It's a terrible cycle that they're in right now that they need to get themselves out of. So did it seem like they or almost doesn't seem like they had this plan going in before the move. Like, then shouldn't they have had all this stuff kind of aligned up before, you know, getting out of Bridgeview and heading back to the city? Or was that all part of the plan? They changed ownership too, right? Like, it seems like there's a lot that's been happening in the past few months. Yeah, changing owners was a huge, a huge thing. The previous owner was, lived in LA and was never around. I've been a season ticket holder since 2008 and... I've probably seen him less than five times, and is his name Stan Kroenke? No. Okay. Just, just, just Andrew sure. Hoffman <laughs> is his name. Um, we but, moved on from yeah, that. <laughs> you know, so having him having him out is a great move, and the new guy Joe Mansueto is a Chicago guy, and he sees the potential, but he's the things he's doing is there's not a lot different than the previous owner. And, you know, he got rid of the coach who was just awful, statistically the worst coach in MLS history. Um, So he needed to go. 
but he waited a long time to get rid of him and those things just kind of add up and it's just it's hard right now it's tough because I love the club and I've you know missed maybe two games a season and I don't have season tickets this year the prices are doubled and it's you know I'm only going to get 10 games this year as opposed to the 18 I always had and those things are frustrating because you know it's part of who I am I'm a Chicago Fire supporter and it's you know my schedule is kind of I look forward to those days where I get to go to the game and support the team even though they've been miserable it's just something that I love to do and I won't get to do it as much anymore because of the move and I don't want to keep supporting bad decisions yeah and it's it's just not where I want to go players want to leave they don't want to be there they don't want to come um the infrastructure is not good at the club and I think they just bank on it being in Chicago that people want to come to Chicago and the league is too good for that anymore that's an old mentality of you know we're a big city so big players want to come and you know the big players are going to Seattle's they're going to Atlanta's they're going to those teams that have the support and have the infrastructure to yeah, we've never been that them. type of club that have uh, just attracted players just for the name namesake. Um, maybe in the very beginning, but since then, not so much. You know, the the first name that comes to mind are the Galaxies, right? Mm-hmm. You know, big name from Europe wants to retire. They're going to the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. So, what what in your mind can <clears throat> is is Chicago Fire's next step in this rebuilding process? Obviously, we can't fix it all at once. Mm-hmm. So, what? What if you're the owner? What what's your next step in order to build this team in the right direction? Well, I I would like to see a coach who brings in youth, brings plays those kids because there's some good kids that are in the Chicago Fire's program and they don't want to stay because they never get to play. And there's Georgie Mihaljevic who's has been in national team camps that he can't get into the Chicago Fire team last year. He was not playing for them, even though he was captaining the U23s and he was... He made appearances at the Yeah, he was playing in the national team in, in the January camps last year and he couldn't break into the Fire team for some reason. And so then he's he's looking to leave. He's one of the 17 and he's, already, he's training with um, Nuremberg in the second division of the Bundesliga and he... He wants to get out because he wants to move his career forward and it's not happening in MLS. And that's something that, you know, we have good players that are from this Chicagoland area that don't want to sign with the fire because it's not a place you want to be. Your career is not going to progress here. And, you know, there's a Mauricio Pineda is the captain of the uh, at North Carolina his brother is Victor Pineda, the first homegrown player for the Fire, and I don't know if I ever saw him play as the the first homegrown player. I don't think I ever saw him play, and I think that burned bridges with that family, rightfully so, because you know he signed as a kid, and you know he had his dreams of playing professional, and they were taken away or not given the opportunity, even though he might have been a decent enough player in that stretch. And his brother is very good. Um, 
he's an all ACC kid and um, he's a center back defensive midfielder kind of player and we really need that at the moment but we offered him a, a homegrown deal and he hasn't accepted it yet and those are things that we need him to accept it but if he's looking at his career why would he want to accept that because it's not good yeah I mean it seems like there's structurally an issue but it, I mean <clears throat> Chicago's got the market I mean the soccer community in Chicago is immense it's it's mm-hmm. massive there's a crazy amount of clubs there's a lot of talent so I've got the they've got the market they've got the culture like the the soccer culture in football culture in the city of Chicago and, and surrounding suburbs and it's are they able to capitalize on that like going forward like you said like it, it seems like they they tried to do that in Bridgeview and it didn't seem to completely work out how do we capitalize on that like because the homegrown players don't seem to want to stay and like the academy system here is really good I feel um, as you know we're all products of the Chicagoland soccer system and I think we know how good it is and it's weird that we don't see the fruits of that labor right and the players are there, um, and the Fire's youth system is very good. There's a lot of good players that get brought up into the youth national teams and everything, but we don't see that translate into the first team. And that's where other clubs in MLS have that, where those youth players get brought up and they get supported by the first team because the first teams are better than what we have. And they can slowly incorporate those players and we're always seem to fight for those playoff spots so we can never give the young kids a chance because they never want to say the season's over until they're mathematically out and it never gives them the opportunity to get those minutes that they really need to develop and get those game time situations that they can't get in practice and it's tough for those kids because they never want to do it. So, Drum, I mean, listening to what everything you're saying about what's going on with Chicago Fire FC, and, I mean, I can't help but notice all the similarities between them and Arsenal right now in terms of structure and just kind of the way they're set up and the mismanagement and, like, the two teams you support are just kind of seem to be in free fall right now. Like, that can't be fun for you. No, it's not great. Um, watching is tough, but they're both – trying to move in the right direction getting a new manager for both clubs is will hopefully turn things around and they'll make progress towards their goal of being consistent and and winning and just playing solid football that you know they have been able to do in the past and hopefully bring that back to the future and you know move forward in a a positive way not too much to ask for no, right I, no. like as a supporter that's not a lot to ask for yeah, i don't even need the fire to be awesome i just want them to be entertaining and it's been too long where they're they're not entertaining and it's it's frustrating but there's going to be a new manager and he's going to be successful or she or she mm-hmm. you're right all all people <laughs> Um, but I mean, the the positive thing is that you know preseason will start for another couple months in January, February. Season doesn't actually kick off until April. There's time to sort these things out. There's problems that will be fixed, and they've got the time to fix it. So you know, hopefully, in that time frame, 
we get things done and you know sort that stuff out and, and as things progress we'd love to have you back on the show to uh, give us updates and your insight on, on the outlook of both Arsenal and and Chicago Fire FC yeah I'm in well, um, we'll, we'll, as we head towards the close here, we'll shift back towards um, the European side of things. And um, earlier this week, I think, or later last week, we had some uh, the draws for the European competitions, Champions League and Europa League. Um, seems to be some pretty interesting uh, fixtures coming up for the Champions League um, knockout rounds. Not a whole lot of exciting things going on in terms of Europa League. Arsenal got paired up with Olympiacos, which is a team that parachuted down from the Champions League, finishing third. Seems kind of weird that, like, <clears throat> teams that parachute down from the Champions League, I feel should have, like, a, a, a top seed that should be in that pot of, like, all the group winners. But the way they do it, they break it up. Like, the teams that don't perform as well as the other third-place teams go into the, the second pot and, and, like, the second-place team. So it seems like kind of a disadvantage for, you know, players that or teams that win their group that can potentially play against the Champions League team but um, that's kind of what the scenario Arsenal is in in terms of getting Olympiacos who's a pretty solid team at home um, they well, I think they've only given up what five goals yeah in this, league play in yeah. league play this season they gave Tottenham a really good run for their their money in their game um, <clears throat> it's I don't think there like is a safe draw out of anyone in pot two in terms of Arsenal at this point but um the good thing is that the games aren't until February, and then we're on the verge of getting a new coach. And uh, it could be better by February. Yeah. <laughs> it, hopefully it, it will be better by hopefully, February. Hopefully uh, we could be a little bit structured in the next couple months, but uh, that is all to be seen. We'll, uh, we'll take it one game at a time starting this Sunday with, uh, with Everton. But uh, I, I think it's going to be fun to watch a couple of these other uh, draws as well, uh, in particular Wolf, uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers. Um, they've been flying high in Europe. I, I'd love to see them continue on, and they're playing against Espanyol, who's at the bottom of La Liga, so they have a chance to progress. Uh, I'd love to see the, the smaller clubs get a chance to move on. Uh, become more of a fan of the Rangers, being a Liverpool fan, uh, not only for Steven Gerrard, but also the players that they've loaned out and sold to them. So I'm going to keep my eye on Rangers Braga. Um, and then Fire player Matt Polster on Rangers, too. That is right. Yeah, he hasn't done a ton of playing time, but, you know, that's okay. He's going to have his chance. Um, Ajax, being the surprise, being knocked down, gets uh, Getafe, who is the surprise, what, third place in La Liga at this point? Um, they're up there, so Getafe and uh, and Ajax is going to be a fun matchup. Um, what else we got? Uh, fun fact on Wolves, they've already played like thirty some odd games this season. Well, it's because they had to qualify. <laughs> like, yeah. isn't that crazy? They started, like, probably they, started late July. Yeah, and, and they've been playing nonstop since the Premier League ended. Last it's not season. like they have a huge it's, squad either. They've probably been playing some similar team the whole time and. And that's, uh, a, that's see a how long they're gonna last. <laughs> that's a testament how how well they they are as a group because I mean they've been playing nonstop. They've played thirty some odd games this season already, and they're hitting stride and they're doing well. They 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 um, advance through the knockouts or the group stages, and they're doing well in, in domestically too. I mean that's they're gonna be a tough team to get uh, to get knocked out of that tournament. It's gonna be interesting to see how they do. Yes, yeah, two points behind Spurs, five points behind fourth place. Not too bad, but yeah, there, there's a few uh, few matchups in Europa League that look uh, that look all right. Um, 
and then obviously Champions League is going to have some some very tasty matchups with um, Real and City being probably the the headliner. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chelsea Bayern should be a fun one since they've had some history in the past. We'll see if Barcelona Napoli can if Napoli could turn around with their new coach. Um, you know, being able to give Barcelona a headache as they have Liverpool in the last few matches. Naples is a tough place to go and play. That stadium is hard to play in, and you know Liverpool saw how hard it was to go there and play, and maybe they can pull something out against Barcelona. Yeah, and then obviously Liverpool Atletico should be a fun one. Atletico always being a, a solid defensive core with uh, some new exciting players going forward. Hopefully, Jao Matinho can. Um, Jao Matinho, Jao, the young kid, Jao Felix. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can can be healthy before that that game, so we can see some of the best players in the world play. Um, you know, Liverpool's going to try to defend their title, and they're going to hopefully have some players back by then defensively to to be solid. So that should be fun. Yeah, Atletico is never fun to play. They're you know well organized, but it's hard to to see them beating Liverpool. Really, anyone beating Liverpool right now, they're kind of flying high and. Everything you, seems to work for them. So. Yeah. I mean, the way that they're grinding out games, they're winning all kinds of ways. So, I mean, that's going to be – I think that's that's a squad that can break down a, a tough athletic side. I think the second leg's at Anfield, which is right. good for you guys. Yeah, it's tough to come there and win anything or get any, any type of result <clears throat> at that point. Uh, we also had the, uh, the 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 League Cup draw as well with a uh, new Manchester another Manchester Derby, Derby coming in, so that should be fun to watch. At least the League Cup is going to have some type of excitement to it. Um, probably the most notable game of that draw, at least. Definitely a good matchup, uh, City versus United for the League Cup uh, semifinal, and we'll see how that that pans out but uh, we've had a lot to talk about this week and there is still plenty to have talked about but yeah we only have an hour to to recap what we can Uh, looking forward to next weekend and and some of the games that are coming up Uh, looking to get joe back on and and we thank you for coming out and your your insight has been very influential yeah it was fun i'm glad to be here and to hang out with you guys and we're gonna, football. We can't wait to have you back because you're going to come back and you're going to tell us how the Chicago Fire are going to be flying high, yep. top of the table, yep. and signing talent like crazy. Right, <laughs> right. That's the goal. Yeah, thanks again for all the listeners who have stuck with us through the first couple episodes here, and uh, hopefully you uh, you stick with us through this journey. Um, just like making a good good beer. It's all it's all part of the process. It's a progress, and we're going to try to get through it as best we can. Um, you can actually reach out to us on Twitter at Beer Football Pod. If you have any questions that we want us to address or um, comments in terms of what we've talked about previously, you can add to the conversation. Um, we'll try to address that in the next podcast. So, um, again, as always, next round's on us. Cheers. Cheers.